This is KCLR's Bottom Line with John Purcell. Hello, good evening and welcome to The Bottom Line, the programme for and about business on KCLR. I'm John Purcell and I'll be with you until 7 o'clock this evening. Thanks to Trishana Archer for the way it is over the last two hours. Now, may the 4th be with you. Yes, today is of course the 4th of May and a big day for fans of the Star Wars franchise. It's also a big day for local cartoon legends Cartoon Saloon as today they release an episode of the Star Wars Vision Volume 2 called Screechers Reach, produced by Cartoon Saloon. Well done to all involved and great to see a local business involved in such a global success. Tonight on the programme, we'll be talking to Chef Connor Higgins about the recently opened Higgsfield restaurant in Kieran Street, Kilkenny. He'll tell us about his career path and how he's travelled from Kilkenny to Canada and back again as he's honed his culinary skills to bring us new vegetarian restaurant using locally farmed and foraged ingredients and how he's managing to implement an environmentally friendly zero waste policy and with the motor industry being such a big employer and contributor to the local economy we'll be hearing from Brian Cook Director General of the Society of the Irish Motor Industry he'll tell us about the latest monthly motor trade figures and what they tell us about the state of the motor industry nationally and this and in this area. But first, earlier this week, I had the opportunity to talk to Simon Coveney, Minister for Enterprise, Trade and Employment. Here's our conversation. Minister Simon Coveney, thanks for joining us on the bottom line on KCLR. Uh, You're very welcome to the programme. You're just four months, little over four months into your new role as Minister for Enterprise, Trade and Employment, transferring over for foreign affairs. How are you finding it? What are the trends and challenges, uh, the positives and negatives facing business in your view at this stage? Well, first of all, I'm I'm really enjoying the new role. Um, It's it's challenging, as you'd expect, uh, because businesses... Um, on the one hand, have had huge pressures over the last number of years in terms of their cost base, their supply chains, uh, mainly impacted by the war in Ukraine and, and COVID and also Brexit over the last number of years where they've effectively had to reconfigure their businesses uh, in terms of where they source from. And obviously their energy bills have been a huge challenge over the last 12 months. Um, and uh, if you're trading in and out of the UK, Obviously, um, customs requirements and, uh, you know, significant bureaucracy that wasn't there pre-Brexit, um, you know, you've had to work through that, um, that complexity. So, so businesses in many ways have had to try to step up to, uh, what have been multiple challenges, uh, to their businesses uh, in the last number of years. But despite that, um, you know, business growth in Ireland has never been stronger. You know, last year, the Irish economy added 70,000 jobs to the economy. Uh, And if you look at the strength of foreign direct investment in Ireland, it's now over 300,000 people employed with multinationals. Uh, And, you know, Irish exporting growing companies supported by Enterprise Ireland, uh, about 220,000 people employed in that sector, which is the highest ever. So, and if you look at local enterprise offices, you know, uh, in terms of supports on the ground, 83% of new jobs growth 
outside of Dublin. Um, and so, you know, there are a lot of good things in the Irish economy at the moment. Uh, I think uh, its uh, businesses have become more resilient. Um, but that doesn't mean there aren't still challenges. And, of course, the state has to be there. I have to be there. And the department that I lead ha- has to be there to support businesses through uh, these unpredictable times. Uh, and, you know, and we are there for that. You know, we're spending significant amounts of money supporting businesses, just like we did through COVID, uh, just like we did through business supports through Brexit. Mm. Uh, now, through the uh, the cost of living and the cost of doing business challenges that people face, I mean, the most... Uh, sort of high-profile uh, support scheme for for businesses is is what's called the temporary energy support scheme, which so far has spent over eighty million euros uh, supporting uh, close to thirty thousand companies. How long uh, do you the, see that continuing, for Minister? Well, I mean the uh, the the TBS scheme has been extended until the end of May, and there is the capacity, without any new legislation, to extend it for a further two months if. If we, you know, deem it appropriate to do that, uh, but I'm glad to say that the cost of, you know, the, uh, the cost of petrol, diesel, gas, home heating oil, and the cost of electricity is all coming down, um, which is a good thing. Um, but look, we'll keep the supports in place as long as they're needed. I put it that way. Yeah. Now uh, you mentioned Brexit there, and uh, Enterprise Ireland show their report for 2022 showed that exports to the UK by companies they support grew last year by 13 percent. Um, 29 percent of EI uh, supported companies' exports are to the UK. Still a hugely important market to Irish business, um, but we're not at a stable position re-Brexit yet really um, as Minister for Foreign Affairs you know you had a, a, a glimpse into the future as how bad it could be. Uh, how has the reality measured up to what you were expecting before? Well look I mean Irish exports to the UK have con- continued to increase um, you know in, in value terms some of that is attributable to, uh, to to prices increasing so I mean if you look at food exports for example last year you know, over 16 billion euros. I mean, I can remember when we were trying to take it from from 7 billion to 12 billion. You know, when I was when I was minister for for agriculture and food, um, uh, and you know, nobody would have been predicting that we could be you know over 16 uh, billion euros worth of food exports. But some of that is driven because the price of food has gone up. But I think um, the big challenge facing businesses in the autumn, uh, linked to Brexit is that for the first time, the UK side is now saying that they're going to implement um, the the checks in British ports on products coming from the EU and coming from Ireland, which they haven't been doing to date. Um, and so in many ways, Brexit has all, be, has all been so far about checks on goods coming into Ireland, coming into the rest of the EU from the UK. Those checks now are going to be replicated uh, for exports into the UK. So so Irish companies have to get their heads around that and plan for that in the same way that they planned for the first phase of, of Brexit checks on imports. And I think if we do that, we can maintain you know strong market share uh, in, in the UK because it's a hugely important market mm. for... Um, for Irish produce. I mean, obviously food and drink, but not just food and drink. Um, you know, the UK is a you know, it's a big consumer base. They spend a lot of money. They trust products that come from Ireland. Uh, and we need, despite all the challenges of Brexit, uh, we need to keep uh, our closest neighbour uh, as a really important market for Irish, um, 
uh, both exports and imports, uh, which, of course, it is. And imports coming from the UK, of course, have fallen, even though the, the cross-border trade north and south is stronger than it's ever been. Mm. Um, uh, but it is understandable that exports from the UK into the EU, including Ireland, have fallen somewhat because there's new barriers now to that trade and it makes it more expensive because of Brexit. Those uh, barriers are increased checks from the autumn that you mentioned. Those could really represent a very significant uh, disruption. We've all seen the delays at Dover between Dover and France, for example. Could something like that impact Irish exports? Yes, I mean... Certainly, the you know what we're going to see is sanitary and phytosanitary checks on on food products for the first time going into the UK from Ireland, and of course we export a lot of product into the UK. But uh, but for the first time since Brexit, the UK are actually going to start their own checking system in their own ports, which they they haven't had the infrastructure to do until now. Um, so let's wait and see how that develops. But but certainly over the next few months, uh, we'll be investing a lot in talking to businesses, supporting them, making sure they understand what they have to do in terms of veterinary certs and so on, uh, to make sure that that they are ready uh, when necessary to maintain their trade flow into the UK, which, as I say, is a really important market for us. I mean, mm. look, you know, in many ways, Brexit is infuriating for uh, for people who are trading in and out of the UK on a daily and weekly basis. But it is what it is, and we have to make it work. Yeah, now you spoke about, you know, the surprise at the level of exports and, and how healthy they are and how, you know, years ago we wouldn't have envisaged uh, that level. The same could be said for corporation tax, huge uh, corporation tax returns for the Irish Exchequer. But are we becoming too reliant on a small number of foreign direct investors? Yeah, I mean, that is a... A legitimate concern in government. Um, so, you know, this is really welcome tax revenue because it's it's at a time when when we need to be investing for the future in our infrastructure, particularly in housing, but also, you know, uh, roads and public transport and so on. And so, uh, unlike many other countries in Europe, um, Ireland will have a significant surplus this year, um, and a big political debate over the summer will be how we use that. I mean, certainly some of us will 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 go into uh, putting money in place for for future challenges that you know that we haven't seen coming yet, uh, just like COVID was, just like Brexit was, just like the war in Ukraine has been. But certainly, some of it needs to be invested as well in um, strategic infrastructure for the future. So, for example, I think the IDA should be tasked with with investing in significant land banks around the country for strategic. Uh, multinational investments in the future so that we can try to maintain the really strong presence that we have from some of the largest companies in the world and, of course, the tax that they pay here. Mm. Um, so, you know, it, we are now at about €24 billion Euros from, uh, from from corporation tax. The Department of Finance would say that about half of that, about €12 billion of it, is unreliable corporation tax, if you like. In other words, we can't rely on it for the next five to ten years. Uh, it may uh, continue or it may not. And so we need to be careful that we don't spend money on recurring expenses year after year and using uh, a tax take um, that may not last. So for now, we've sort of hit a sweet spot. There is very significant tax revenue coming in from from large multinationals. We need to use that sensibly to invest in business, to invest in business infrastructure, to invest in land banks for future business growth. Um, but of course, we also need to use it for 
for many of the other political challenges uh, that we have in healthcare and housing and uh, and and other infrastructure. And you know, I think we'll we'll get the balance right mm. uh, in the uh, in the October budget on spending some of that on today's challenges while putting some of it aside as well for potential future shocks that we may have to face in the future. Yeah, that uh, corporation tax story focuses largely on the large multinationals. Of course, SMEs, a huge part and probably the majority of the Irish economy really, but often get less attention. What's your message to small and medium-sized enterprises? Well, first of all, they won't be getting less attention from me, I can assure you. So, um, you know, SMEs are the heartbeat of of the Irish economy, it's family-run businesses. It's you know it's the shops and businesses on your main streets. It's the you know, it's the people who are doing business out of their home online. Um, and we need to make sure that we're supporting entrepreneurship. We're encouraging startups. We're encouraging an appetite for risk in Irish business. Um, and that you know people who have the courage to start their own businesses. Uh, are supported by the state through our agencies. And there are lots of supports there, whether it's through local enterprise offices, whether it's through Enterprise Ireland, whether uh, it's through local authorities, um, whether it's through uh, the SEAI in terms of you know energy grants uh, and so on. Um, you know, we have quite a sophisticated infrastructure for supporting small business in Ireland. I want to continue to develop and modernise that because I think we're still missing a lot of small businesses in terms of the supports that are there. Uh, and that's one of the reasons why I'm out and around the country holding seminars at the moment that are predominantly for small businesses to come uh, and hear from the state agencies that are there to support them, uh, to, to talk to them about their challenges and problems uh, and how we can help them to overcome them. Um, um, but, you know, we are spending hundreds of millions of euros supporting businesses every year through mentoring, through advice, through startup supports, uh, through you know digital vouchers, uh, through you know energy grants, um, and the list goes on. Uh, and we have specific programs that SMEs can can come on board on uh, to help them you know, reduce the risk to those businesses and to increase their chances of success. You mentioned uh, high streets there. Many high streets, Minister, are under pressure and still, uh, you know, gaps appearing uh, with businesses, you know, Ulster Bank closing, Argos closing, pulling out of Ireland and so on. What about retail? How can you give hope to people who are in retail who find themselves under continuing pressure from, you know, online retailers such as Amazon, for example? Yeah, like I think that's a fair question. So, you know, first of all, uh, you know, we need to encourage all businesses to use the, the digital tools that are available for them, for their products. And we need to financially support them and advise businesses on, on how to expand their potential customer base online so that, so that we can move away, uh, from a reliance on, um, you know, large, Platforms um, uh, and and allow local businesses to um, to be able to sell whether they're on those platforms or whether they you know have a have a website or or a social media platform of their own. And more and more businesses are doing that. You know, I think retail is changing, um, and we need to find a way of ensuring that that change can maintain employment and can can be, keep businesses local. Mm. Um, but increasingly, I do think you will see more and more local retailers, yes, of course, keeping the, the shop front open, but also um, looking for new, businesses opportun- new business opportunities online. 
uh, and uh, our agencies are very much there to help them do that. Um, with rates increases, uh, you know, interest rises, supply chain uh, difficulties, there are, many people would say that business hasn't really embraced the climate crisis and isn't acting quickly enough to address uh, the changes that are needed. What's your reaction to that? Um, well, it depends on the business. You know, some some are very much embracing it as a as an opportunity to run a more efficient business, as well as to reduce the carbon footprint of that business. And others aren't. So, you know, there are two twin transitions that have to happen over the next decade. One, we have to get more businesses onto digital platforms and using digital services that can help their businesses to be far more efficient. Um, to reduce their cost base and to expand their customer base. And all of those things are possible today with, with the right digital tools that, that our agencies need to support and help businesses to use. And then secondly, um, the decarbonization transition, if you want to call it that. We've got a response to climate change. The truth is that, that businesses that don't simply won't be competitive in the future because consumers will demand that the businesses that they buy product from are sustainable, uh, or at least making a significant effort to be as sustainable as they can be. Uh, And so this is a huge ask for the enterprise sector and for businesses across Ireland. We've set a target of reducing emissions from the business sector, if you like, by 35% by 2030, and from, from buildings that businesses operate out of by about 45%. So that's a big, big challenge, you know, 2030 is only six and a half years away. Um, so in order to do that, we're going to have to spend hundreds of millions of euros supporting businesses to become more efficient. And this isn't just, you know, microgeneration or biogas or solar panels on the roof. It's, it's actually taking uh, an audit-based approach to your business, looking at how you're generating energy, how you're using energy, uh, how you can conserve it, and then putting a plan in place to help you do that. And there's some really good online tools that you can use to to take a you know strategic look at your business. And then there are very strong supports available, predominantly through the uh, Sustainable Energy Authority of Ireland, SEAI, but also through Enterprise Ireland and local enterprise offices. And I really would encourage businesses to start thinking about that, to start talking to their, to their Leo office about it, um, and, you know, we are at the moment trying to design new schemes and new supports to help businesses to um, to reduce the emissions from their businesses, to, to protect nature and local ecosystems and so on. But we do recognize that the state is going to have to pick up some of the cost of this so that businesses can actually do it uh, in a way that makes financial sense for them. The point I'd like to emphasize on this is, like, this isn't a sort of an optional extra that people can choose if they want to. You know, Ireland has got to find a way of decarbonizing our, our society as a whole, but also our our businesses. Um, undoubtedly, we are going to invest enormous sums of money in renewable sources of energy, particularly offshore, but also more solar onshore. So, so the electricity in Ireland is going to become more and more re- more and more renewable between now and 2030. But businesses also have to look at, at how they play their part in that. We're there to help them, uh, but businesses need to be asking themselves those questions.
Now, you talked about technological tools and challenges to society. A lot of worry about artificial intelligence. Many of the companies at the forefront of the development of artificial intelligence are actually based in Ireland. Has the government a view on how artificial intelligence should be managed into the future? Yeah, I mean, that view is evolving all the time. I think everyone's trying to get their head around around artificial intelligence because it, it's advancing at such a pace that it's it's almost scary, but it's also really exciting. Um, you know, we now know that that we can use artificial intelligence for all sorts of things that we, you know, that we couldn't have before uh, to help businesses to run more efficiently, uh, to, you know, to answer questions, uh, to get briefing notes from meetings, which can be collected by AI. Um, you know, I, I visited a fantastic company in Galway uh, recently called Cisco, who are, you know, one of the sort of world's leading AI companies in terms of some of the products they're developing. And it's, you know, it's it's really extraordinary. You know, this is sort of machines that learn themselves through experience uh, and using AI technologies. Um, so these are remarkable tools that are going to help us to, to solve all sorts of problems. But they have real dangers too. Mm. Um, and uh, and for, for legislators and policymakers like me, uh, we have to figure out how we protect consumers, how we protect the public, uh, from uh, the potential dangers of AI, while at the same time being a country that actually embraces the technology because it's extraordinarily exciting. But there's no um, time so to waste on this, Minister. Um, how fast do you think we can move? I mean, we're not wasting time, I can assure you. I mean, we are, we are already developing an AI strategy in Ireland. And because we have some of the largest multinationals in the world that are really at the sharp end of the development of AI products, it gives us a huge advantage and being a first mover uh, internationally in this space. Um, but I, I think you're going to see all sorts of artificial intelligence products becoming available at very affordable prices for businesses and for consumers in the next few years. But should they be uh, regulated, do you think? Yeah, I think there'll need to be some regulation. Um, uh, uh, of course there will, just, there need, just like there needs to be regulation in terms of online dangers, uh, not just for children, but for, but for consumers more generally. Um, so this is this is something that I think the European Union is is looking to try to get their head around. But I, I'd like to see Ireland as a, you know, as one of the um, the companies in the world that is actually leading the debate on artificial intelligence and supporting the exciting technology that's there that can certainly create jobs and an enormous amount of business activity. But we've also got to be, you know, aware of the dangers and we've got to put a regulatory model in place that responds to that. Simon Coveney, Minister for Enterprise, Trade and Employment, thank you very much for your time this evening and talk to you again soon. Thanks, Amelia. Anytime. Cheers. Simon Coveney there talking to me before we came on air and interesting to hear him talk about artificial intelligence very much in the news this week and uh, it will have big implications for business, have no doubt. Also interesting to hear the Minister warn about the potential impact of checks at the border into Great Britain with the introduction later in the year of Brexit-related checks for British imports coming into Britain uh, for the first time. Watch that space. Also interesting to hear him talk about Irish businesses' uh, actions in relation to the climate crisis. And the minister was saying some are embracing the challenge and some aren't for 
variety of reasons. Later in the programme, we'll be talking to Connor Higgins of Higgsfield Restaurant. And one of the things he'll be telling us about is how his restaurant has adopted a zero waste policy. Just time to tell you about uh, an interview coming up this Saturday at four on Scoreline uh, when Mark Dowling, Kilkenny Under 20 manager, will be talking to Robbie Dowling. Also, uh, the next Kilkenny Chamber chat takes place on 18th of May on Thursday in Cartoon Saloon Studios in Barrick Street at 6. Uh, promises to be an interesting evening. We talked at the top of the programme about their May the 4th Star Wars release. Check that out if you get a chance. Coming up, we're going to be talking about the Irish motor trade and how it's getting on. Don't go away. This is KCLR's Bottom Line with John Purcell. Casey Lauren indeed, it's exactly 27 minutes away from 7 o'clock. John Purcell with you on the bottom line until 7 when Matt O'Keefe takes over with the Tierlawn Farm Programme. Now, earlier this week, the Society of the Irish Motor Industry released their April data concerning new vehicle registrations. It always gives a great insight into how the industry is going and what it means for the industry nationally, but also of interest in this area, what it means for the industry in Carlow and Kilkenny. Well, earlier in the week, I spoke with Brian Cook, who's the Director General of SIMI, the Society of the Irish Motor Industry, and I began by asking him what the newly released data for April tells us about the state of the motor industry. Well, I I think, John, what we've seen is a solid start to the year. We've sold 67,000 new cars already this year, uh, which is €2.5 euro worth of business, so it's quite a significant amount of economic activity. It's it's up 16% on last year. Um, so it's a, certainly a step in the right direction, but I will qualify that. We're, we're, we're 8% behind 2019, and we're probably 25% behind where we would like to be in a normal car market, but we're, we're going in the right direction. What do you think is the reason for the discrepancy, and uh, you know, are you optimistic that this will be pulled back? Well, I think I, I think what we've seen, you know, even since the recession, which is, you know, it's 15 years ago now, the Irish new car market has underperformed. And every time we look like we're getting there, 2016, we were back to normal levels. We sold nearly 150,000 new cars. And then the Brexit vote happened and uh, we saw a flood of used imports come in. And then when we were starting to recover from that, COVID hit. So, so I think, you know, if the economy can motor along, I think uh, new car sales will increase over the next two or three years. And we really need them to increase, you know. We have these emission targets in terms of electric vehicles and in terms of even the combustion engine vehicles getting getting the oldest, smokiest vehicles off the road and replacing them with newer cars. So, so, so uh, as a country and as an industry, we actually need to see new car sales improve from where they are now. What's the supply chain like? Uh, we heard quite a bit about the lack of availability of new cars. Is that still the case or has that uh, issue been managed away? Well, I, I wouldn't say it's been quite managed away, but certainly has ease. And I think if, you know, if customers are, you know, in the market for a new or a used car, you know, there, there has been improvement in stock availability in the first half of this year. We would expect most of those issues to unwind by the start of next year, but there certainly is stock out there. Um, and if, you know, somebody's in the market for a car, I think there, I would confidently say in most cases there will be a car for them within a reasonable time frame. Uh, what about electric cars? A very important sector. You mentioned uh, the climate challenge earlier on. Uh, how are sales of electric cars and hybrids going? 
Well, I think the electric car piece is, is all good news at the moment. Uh, we've got sold over 11,000 uh, new electric cars this year. It's up nearly 50% of the last year. It's 17% of the market now so far this year. And if you think it was 13.5% in January, it was 16.8%. Uh, of the February new car market, and now it's now it's over a fifth of the new car market in the month of April. So, so I think that 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 that's a huge plus, and we're going in the right direction there. I think in terms of new cars, overall new cars. If you look at if you add the electric vehicles, the plug-in hybrids, and the conventional hybrids, forty-four percent of new cars uh, have batteries in them at the moment. Batteries that actually propel the car. So, I think that that that's certainly a piece of good news. And I think again, like the new car market, it's another step in the right direction. Mm, quite a bit of a change in the pre-car uh, or pre-owned car market. What can you tell us about that? Well, in in in, in terms of um, the used import market, that that, that was that was a hundred thousand cars uh, back in. Uh, uh, back in 2019, largely due to in, in the UK, they wanted to get rid of a lot of their older cars, a lot of their diesel cars, actually, and uh, and, and the prices of them were, were uh, helped by the weakness of sterling. But we've actually seen that now um, more normalised, more normal levels, and um, we'll probably see about 50,000 used imports come in this year, which would be uh, which which will be a more normal level, but will be 50% down on on, on a tight. Yeah, uh, talk to me a bit about the whole business sector, like commercials, heavy goods vehicles, buses and so on. An interesting picture there as to how the economy is going. Yeah, well, it's certainly the light commercial vehicle sales. Are, they're actually back at normal levels, levels that we would expect to see. We could be close to 30,000 again this year. So, so again, we've seen particularly in the light commercial vehicle sector. I, I think, um, I think we have more delivery of, uh, uh, more deliveries are, are much more part of, of life at the moment in general. So a lot more companies have a lot, a lot higher use of, of vans. So, so they've improved significantly. Uh, again, in, in terms of the, the heavy commercial stuff, and you mentioned, mentioned the buses you know the biggest buyer of buses in Ireland is going to be CIE and I think they've, they've started the process bringing in hybrid buses and, and hopefully electrical and hydrogen buses as the decade goes on again you know very important for the climate change agenda um, What do you think are the major issues now facing the industry for the rest of the year and are you optimistic um, that the positive trend is going to uh, continue and indeed accelerate and improve well, I, I, I think, look, I think we, we, we're not that far away from the July new car period. Uh, one caveat I would have is uh, the, the grant for electric vehicles has actually been reduced from the 1st of July. So it's important if people are looking for an electric vehicle that they actually, you know, they place their order before 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 the end of June. They can even have it delivered in July and still avail of the full grant. So, so I think in terms, we mentioned the supply issue earlier on. If the economy, the economy looks like it's going to be better than we thought it was at the start of the year. So, so again, that they're, they're all positive signals. So, I think the second half of the year we will see the we'll continue continue growth in overall car sales, in commercial vehicle sales, and more importantly, in electric vehicle sales as well. Uh, but then, clearly, if, if we look towards next year, the big uncertainty every year for the motor industry is the budget, and the budget happens in October, which is very close to our key selling period. So, so if we get can get the measures right, the economy still grows, and we can get a good budget, then I think we could see an increase again next year. You said you're about 25% off where you'd like the industry to be. What help would you like from government to help uh, the industry get back there? Because it is a very significant employer nationally, and indeed in this area in Kilkenny and Carlow. Yeah, look, I think it is important to highlight that. You know, there we we have members in every single town town in the country. So we're not just the Dublin 
uh, focused industry we provide jobs through, throughout the country I, I think in terms of overall taxation steady as she goes no increases they're not necessary the more new cars to sell the greater the tax take is going to be so I think they can increase their tax revenues by actually leaving uh, a lot of VRT and VAT alone there's a VRT relief for electric vehicles it's, it's essential that that is retained um, most other European countries and certainly our nearest neighbour don't have vehicle registration tax and they the lower VAT rate, so so they've got an advantage, you know, compared to us. So I think we need to keep that VRT relief in place. We need to keep the grants in place for as long as possible. And I suppose one bump we've had in electric vehicle sales and in company cars sales this year was the BIK, BIK changes that came in on the 1st of January. Now, thankfully, the Minister uh, made, made a, a concession on those, a partial reversal. So I think it's important that the, particularly the incentives for uh, company cars for electric vehicles on BIK are extended at current levels for two or three more years until we actually can establish a used EV market. Mm, uh, the government has very uh, ambitious targets for electric vehicles. I think 2030 is the uh, deadline on that. Are you confident that that will be achieved? Well, at, at the moment, you know, on the current level of car sales, 840,000 cars is the car portion of the of the million, the headline million vehicles. You know, at current, you know, sales levels, we're probably looking at closer to 500,000 than 800,000 cars. So, so we need the new car market to grow in its entirety, and we need the electric vehicle proportion to grow. So, at the moment, it's going to be very difficult to reach those targets. But that doesn't that's not to be negative about it. There's going to be over half a million electric vehicles on the road even at current sales levels the more we can do to support the electric vehicle project both as an industry and as the government the better chance consumers will have of getting into an electric vehicle and we can bridge some of that gap between half a million and eight hundred forty thousand. and do you think we're keeping up with the uh, provision of infrastructure with that very dramatic growth i'm talking about charging points and so on does the government need to do more in your view or yeah, are we well, I, going well um, well, I, I think, look, I mean, we're a small country, which helps, which means we don't have the length of journeys, say, that they have in, in, in bigger countries. The housing stock in Ireland, apparently 80% of Irish residences have the capacity to, for people to have charging on their dry, in, their, in their driveway. So, so we've got a huge advantage over many countries. So the bedrock of our charging infrastructure is going to be home charging. But, you know, if we want to get people who do higher mileage using electric vehicles uh, charging along motorways and all, more needs to be done. And, and we've seen that the Zero Vehicle Emissions Office in Ireland, Zevi, they're, they're putting more and more money, you know, in, into, you know, charging points, you know, in public areas. And we need to see more and more of that. And I think, if anything, they need to be given more firepower, more investment, so, so they can encourage the whole electric vehicle project. Brian Cook, Director General of the Society of the Irish Motor Industry. Thanks for joining us on The Bottom Line. Thank you, John. Good to talk to uh, Brian Cook there earlier in the week and good to see that uh, sales in the motor industry are heading in the right direction and good to see that electrical and uh, hybrid vehicles are also uh, big. I think their market share will soon, if it hasn't already, overtake the sales of more uh, historical, I suppose, fossil fuel uh, vehicles and that's good to see a bit of progress. Uh, I'm delighted to be joined um, in the studio by uh, Brian Higgins, who's from Higgs Field Restaurant a newly opened restaurant in Kilkenny. You're very welcome to the bottom line, Brian. Thank you. It's Connor. By oh, the way. Connor. Jesus. I, I, deliberate mistake uh, number one. Uh, no, uh, not deliberate mistake. It's uh, okay. I won't feel so bad if I make a mistake later. You yeah, yeah, not at all. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. Apologies, Connor. Um, just tell us about your 
journey, I suppose, to, to Higgs Field. You're from Kilkenny originally, but uh, you're coming back to these parts after being away for a while. Yep, that's right. I grew up here uh, not too far on the other side of town near the Sycamores. Um, and after university, I left the country and went to Canada, Vancouver, Canada. Uh, yeah, when I asked you before we came on air, when I heard university, I was kind of thinking culinary arts or something like that. You know, but no. No, culinary arts was on my CEO or the whatever you call it. And I changed yeah, yeah. it uh, in, near the last minute and I did uh, multimedia in Dublin City University. Yeah, a great course, yeah, but yeah, a complete yeah. different way. So what took you down the culinary route? Well, I've always enjoyed cooking. Uh, There's always been a part of our family, my parents and stuff. You know, my mother's a dietitian. She wrote a cookbook <laughs> a long time ago, and we'd always be cooking in the kitchen together. So it's always kind of been part of my life. And uh, I went to Canada and intended on getting into the, um, you know, the movie, the movie business. But there was just uh, probably a little bit too much schmoozing for my liking. So I just, I met a chef who took me under his wing and I apprenticed uh, with him for several years. Um, and I just really enjoyed it. I love food. Yeah. And um, uh, what what's involved? Like, you're talking a lot of hard work. I mean, my impression of professional chefing is long hours, yeah, a relentless grind. You have yeah. to really love it. Uh, yeah, you you do have to really love it for sure. Uh, I mean, we've all seen these TV shows and stuff that portray the the kitchen life, and some of them are pretty accurate. Like, I don't know if you've seen The Bear. No, I haven't seen The Bear. <laughs> it's no, a tell good us about one. It. Like, it's very, it's just very realistic, and you kind of get a, a good insight into uh, the life, you know, in kitchens, and it can be extremely crazy, you know. But uh, at the same time, it's you know, you just meet so many interesting people because it's it's always just a ragtag bunch of. Uh, bunch of people who end up there you know so you meet all walks of life and it's exciting that way yeah and tell us about uh, the culinary scene in canada um well there is a lot of fantastic food in canada mm. <laughs> especially in vancouver i mean anything you want is you know not far from your house you know you've got like sushi 15 stores in a you know one mile radius and just food from all over the world because it's a very um, diverse uh, population there you know what i mean so there's, you know, just everything you could ever imagine. There. And Canada is such a vast country. Um, where do the ingredients come from? Because, you know, would they be largely sourced in Canada or did they, would they have a lot of imports? Uh, they would have a lot of imports, of course. Yeah, yeah. I mean, Vancouver's on the coast, so there's a lot of seafood there. But um, there's also a lot of farming there. I mean, in the Okanagan Valley, just south of Vancouver in British Columbia, they're, you know, it's a valley and it's Canada's only desert there. So uh, they have the right climate to grow all sorts of fantastic vegetables. And even citrus fruits now are being grown uh, there. Limes and uh, yutsu and lemons and all sorts of things. So you're about 14 years in, in Canada. Had you seen yourself staying there longer? Yeah. Did, had you been planning a return to Ireland? Or tell you us how what? that came about. You know what, John? I don't really plan anything, I'm afraid. I kind of live in the moment and... Uh, yeah, I, I don't look too far ahead. Um, so, yeah, I guess if I were to have stopped and thought about it, I would have imagined myself being there forever because it's, uh, it's really a nice place to live. Yeah, I was very content there. Yeah, you know? and uh, how had you v- viewed the Irish food scene from afar? Had you kept up to date with it? You left as a multimedia practitioner and were mm-hmm. coming back as a chef. Yeah, well, I guess when I left here, I wasn't all that aware of it or certainly not to the extent I am now uh, but when I have come back over the past 14 years because I have come back a few times uh, I was always amazed at uh, 
at the state of it. Not, I mean, not in a bad way, but uh, just the way they do things and how things are run. And uh, yeah, it's just shocking, really. But I mean, I've 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 been trained by some really great chefs and worked in some really great places. So not to toot my own uh, horn or anything, but uh, my standards we pretty high I think. Yeah tell us about some of those standards and, and the way you do your work and what characterises your, your food that you make um, Well I guess it's a respect for the food you know a respect for the vegetables and stuff and uh, I just see here uh, well it, you know it's tied with being a very hard professional I just see here a lot of cooks and uh, people working in kitchens just don't really uh, seem to care very much about it you know they're just doing it to get a paycheck at the end of the week and um it's just people's. I guess there's not as much of a, a culture of food here in Ireland as in other places. You know what I mean? People, mm. people here don't argue about how to make a tomato sauce, right? Like they might in Italy. Not that you've come across yet. Anyway. Not that I've come across, but I would love to fight someone about how to make a tomato sauce. Like, it right. really excite me. I'd love to, if someone came in and you know picked a row over tomato yeah. sauce. <laughs> yeah, so are you saying that, uh, uh, you know, it, it's hard to generalise and we can't generalise completely, but but you haven't come across as much passion as you would have found in in the certainly, in Canada? Certainly not, although, you know, it's changing a lot. It's we're, I think Ireland is getting much better about about food and much more aware of what's out there and how to cook food and stuff. Yeah, you know, it's we come across amazing. a good many producers uh, here through this program oh. who are doing incredible stuff from beetroot to well, all it. sorts like, of stuff. Ireland has so much um, available, like you know, whether it's farmed or foraged stuff that mm. people are just kind of unaware of, you know, yeah. because it's not part of their life, like I said. And the sector has been through a, a tough couple of years as well with uh, with uh, COVID and there's a lot of pent-up demand. So mm-hmm. it brings us to Higgs Field. Mm-hmm. Uh, tell us about the name before we talk about your cuisine and your your, your approach and, and the business. Uh, yes, uh, well, the name, you know, I spent a lot of time thinking about it and... and uh, yeah, I don't know. It's uh, it's got uh, some hidden depths, I suppose. You know, it's I guess on the base level, it's where I grow my vegetables in in Higgins's field, Higgs field. But I mean, if you want to go deeper than that, it's uh, the Higgs field is a a field that is all around us and it gives particles mass. It's got to do with um, uh, physics, if I'm not That's mistaken. Right. Is it part of Higgs boson? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, it's tied to the Higgs boson. Yeah. Um, yeah, I, I can't an, pretend to know what that is. Now. Listen, even even I talk about it, but wrapping my head around it is something else. You know, it's 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 really out there. Yeah, this guy Peter Higgs uh, thought of this uh, the field. He proposed it. You know, almost a hundred years ago, and only ten years ago it was proven to be true at the CERN. Yeah, I think I remember seeing a press conference where they were sitting around and there was a whole pile of physicists and yeah. some guy in tears because his life's work had been yeah, vindicated. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. It's fascinating to me. And uh, I have an uncle who's uh, a physicist and we would talk about all this kind of stuff wow. you know, when I meet him. And yeah, yeah. I, just, I just love it. You know, he taught us all the planets when we were kids and all this kind of stuff. So, it's so th- that's where the name is from. Yeah, it is. Yeah, yeah. So it's kind of like your approach to food really which is uh, kind of elemental if that's the impression I'm, I'm oh, I guess so, yeah. getting. Yeah well look we can talk more about that after the break. You're listening to The Bottom, the bottom Line, the programme for and about business I'm John Purcell. We're talking to Connor Higgins of Higgsfield Restaurant in Kieran Street. Recently opened. Always good to talk to newly opened businesses. We'll be back after the break and we'll hear more about this fantastic new restaurant. The Bottom Line on KCLR with John Purcell. KCLR.
Casey Lauren D. John Purcell with you until 7 o'clock. I'm joined in studio by Connor Higgins of Higgsfield Restaurant. Connor, we were talking about the name, we were talking about your background. Talk to us about what you're actually delivering when you're open, what people can get and so on. Sure thing. Uh, so we're open for brunch uh, these days. Uh, that's uh, We open Wednesday to Tuesday. Oh, excuse me, we're closed on uh, Tuesdays and Wednesdays. We're closed Tuesday, Wednesdays, that's right. And uh, we're open from 10am to 3pm every other day for brunch. And um, it's a vegetarian restaurant. Oh, vegetarian. Yeah, you got it. No meat, no gelatin, no, you know. Yeah, bread. and so that must be interesting for you because I asked, were you a vegan or a vegetarian and you're not? No, I'm not. It no. exercises your creativity probably to the max. So. For sure, you know, I think having limits uh, in whatever we're doing is a really uh, beneficial thing to, you know, make us do better for you know in whatever like our my english teacher would have given me an essay and it was always much easier when he gave us a title as opposed to letting us come up with our own title so limits like that i think really help creativity as steve Jobs said creativity loves discipline um i talked about the zero waste policy you're heading towards that direction why is that important to you Oh, it's important for many reasons we're we're certainly not at a zero waste right now but that's definitely a goal it's important because, I mean, you know, look at the state of the world and uh, it's n- not only financially better for us if we're wasting less and, you know, if we can reuse the, the tops of our carrots in something else, well, then, you know, that's just extra money for us too. So, you know, morally, for helping the world become a better place, it's good, but it's also good for our bank accounts. Mm. You know. And is it challenging? Um yeah, yeah, it is, but it's back to the limits thing, you know. It's just kind of using your imagination and creativity to find ways to uh, use up those bits and, you know, to reduce waste. And, yeah, it's just another limit. What about people who may not be vegetarians? Um, I'm sure you'd welcome them in, but what would you say to them? Um, well, I eat there every day. I'm not a vegetarian. I'm sure they'll enjoy it, you know. Uh, people just have this preconception that they need to have meat in their diets, which, you know, uh, like I said, I'm not a vegetarian, but um, it's, I don't know, people are scared of vegetables or something, it seems. Yeah, you know? <laughs> yeah absolutely. And they're pretty innocent and inert they most are, of the time. Most yeah. of the time, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah for sure. Uh, yeah, I don't know. Come give it a try. Eat, yeah. Eat your greens. Well, look, uh, it's open in Kieran Street, Kilkenny. Uh, it's called Higgsfield Restaurant. You can check out higgsfieldrestaurant.com. Connor Higgins, thanks for joining us on The Bottom Line. My and, pleasure. Uh, best of luck in the future. That's all we've got time for this week on The Bottom Line. Remember, if you have any comments or ideas you'd like to get to us, email the bottom line at caseylaura96fm.com. If you would like to listen back to this show or any episode of The Bottom Line, just search for The Bottom Line, Case or wherever you get your podcasts. Thanks to all our guests this week, Minister Simon Coveney, Brian Cook and Connor Higgins. Thanks to Deirdre Drummy who produces the show. Thanks to you most of all for listening. We'll be back next Thursday for more stories foreign about business when Colin Ahern will be in the hot seat. Until we speak again, take care of yourself, support your local area, stay safe, look after each other and keep the faith. KCLR, The Bottom Line with John Purcell.